we'd like to, to uh, as we enter into a time and we consider God's words, just uh, if you look in your, your bulletins, you'll see the summons to the word. This summons reminds us, it sobers us to the importance, the, uh, really the vitality and the opportunity of what we are about to do. Listen to these beautiful words from, from Psalm 119. The psalmist says, I will never forget your commands. They make me wiser than my enemies. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It is a light for my path. What a beautiful promise. On this particular morning, I would love for you to have your Bibles open as we discuss the text. So you'll find, if you want to find your blue pew Bible there, it's on page 1014. It's in the New Testament. We're going through this summer, going through the, the book of First Peter. And this morning, uh, we're going to focus uh, really on the, on the full first chapter, mostly in the, uh, on the second half. But it's, again, it's page uh, 1014, if you want to follow along. As you're turning there, I want to ask you kids, how many of you kids have ever been in school? And your teacher, just for, for a little while, your teacher leaves the room. You ever had that happen? You ever notice that? Like suddenly the teacher leaves the room. Yeah, Lucas, you know, okay, good. So the teacher leaves the room, and suddenly there's no one but you kids there. Or maybe you're taking a test. See, a math test, and the teacher says, I'll be right back, and the teacher's gone. And at first, just kind of this quiet, everyone kind of notices something's changed, right? Hmm. And, 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 and everyone, well, for the most part, everyone continues to say they're, they're taking the test, everyone's working the test. And I want you to imagine for a second that, not, that lo- not long after the teacher leaves, a classmate sitting right next to you leans over and says, Psst, hey, what did you get for number six? What are you going to do? And what would you do? What if they began to make fun of you? Now, come on, don't be stupid. What if they made threats? What if they started telling you what they were going to do to you at recess or after school? Or what if they, they actually they didn't make fun of you? What if they actually tried to make a deal with you? I'll give you my iPad. <laughs> or they started you know, prompting. Or even worse, what if, not, what if they weren't a bully? What if they were actually really cute? They were really popular, and this was your chance to fit in. And you realize that if you didn't give an answer, if you refused to help them, you know for sure that you would never fit in. They were popular. People liked them. And they would, they, they could simply just let everyone know how, how you were just someone not to talk to anymore. What would you do? Everyone in the class is watching waiting to see what you are going to do. Will you do what they want you to do? Would you? How about you parents? Your work environments, family environments. How many of you feel pressure from family members to conform, to get it right, to do what you're supposed to do? Or at work, there are ethical questions, issues that, that confront you there are people who want you to look the other way, whatever it might be, but there's always a challenge. There's always this sense of, are we going to fit in? See, the, in the world, 
of the early Christians, the Christians to whom Peter was writing. They were followers of Jesus, and they lived in a world that wanted them to fit in. And they had to decide what they would do. They had to decide, listen to this, this is really important. They had to decide whose favor was most important. See, they had learned to love and came to dearly love a teacher, a rabbi, a teacher who had now left but had promised to return. And they were struggling between this this daily battle of, on the one hand, being told to fit in in place of following, following the teacher. Now look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Again, this is on page uh, 1014 in your, your, your blue pew Bible. Peter begins our text this morning by saying, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace, that is to say, on the favor that will be brought to you at the revelation, or that is at the return of Jesus Christ. He's giving them advice. In fact, he's urging these early Christians to focus not on the present favor of their friends, of their family members, or their fellow classmates or co-workers, but actually to focus themselves, to focus their hope, their outlook on the future favor of Jesus when he returns. And we're going to talk about that more, but what I want to do, and I want to take a little bit of time to do it, I want to first go back and look at the first word, I mean, at the first word in the verse. See, it says, therefore. And I want to take a little bit of time to look back at what Peter has just said, because it's so important that we understand what Peter is, his sense of urgency, his sense of, of necessity in what he's about to say. It's so important we go back and look at what he's already said. So, Paul, so Peter's going to give us some, he's given, he's going to give some advice here. But that advice is not where the letter begins. It, it, it starts before that. I want to spend a few minutes reviewing here and talking about how Peter has addressed his, his audience. Now, if look, look back in verse 1. We'll see that Peter begins the letter by addressing his audience as foreigners, as unwanted outsiders, as misfits. Look in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, le- who are elect Exiles. Exile. What does it mean to be exiled, for goodness sake? Uh, To be an unwanted outsider, to be a foreigner, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Sia, and Bithynia. See, Peter, now this is important, Peter's not insulting them. Hey, you bunch of outsiders, you miss me. He's not insulting them, okay? He's saying, look, you don't fit in. You don't fit in. And you won't fit in. Ever. You'll never be brilliant enough. You'll never be beautiful enough. Your bank account will never be big enough. So stop trying to fit in. Stop trying to fit in with your friends and with your family and your coworkers and classmates. See, they're looking at you and they think, you know, you're different. You're different. And Peter's saying, that's right, you're different. And that's actually a good thing. See, Peter, but Peter doesn't just address them as, the, as these early Christians as foreigners. 
as unwanted outsiders. He addresses them as family members. Look in verse 3. So Peter explodes in this great sort of sense of joyful um, celebration. Blessed be the God and Father, see this language, is Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, as one who knew Jesus of Nazareth, who followed Jesus of Nazareth, knew that Jesus proclaimed or declared that he had a father that the creator of the heavens and the earth was indeed his own father. And Peter says, blessed be, and he's, 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 he's celebrating, blessed be God, the, fa- the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He's saying, yes, we are foreigners, but God in his mercy has brought us in. He has given us life into his family. We, are, we have been born so that our identity is not simply Bruce Clark or whatever, whatever given name we have. Our identity is found in the family of God. And in being family, uh, he goes on to say, we have a future. He continues on in verses 3 and 4. Look with me. He says, he, that is, that is, that is the father, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. See, there's a future through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. See, there's a, the language. Of, the, the, we have a future as family members. We now have a future, a future that's for sure. That is to say, an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So Peter addresses these early Christians as foreigners and yet as family members who have a future. One of those of you kids, today's sermon is brought to you by the letter F. Got that? So when you hear a word that begins with F, you know that something important is about to be said, okay? So he says, yes, you're foreigners. You don't fit in, but you're family members and you've got a future, and that future, he says, is absolutely for sure. And how did these... No, no, so let me just dwell, let me kind of bring that home a little bit. I don't know how many of you have seen one of my favorite series of movies is Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. The very first one is called Batman Begins, right? And it tells a story, sort of the origin story of Batman. And um, where, you, where you find, where you first find Bruce Wayne is actually he, they, after telling the story of, you know, of course, his, of, of when he was a little kid and his parents are, are, are murdered, um, we see him as a young man, and he's not where we would think he would be. He's not at Yale or Princeton. He's not in college. He's not out partying. Do you know where he is? He's a foreigner. He's in a foreign land. In fact, he's with the lowly. He's with the, all of these criminals, all of these lowlifes, and he's infiltrating the criminal underworld as an outsider, as someone who's constantly uh, being injured, he's constantly imprisoned, he's undercover. But is that it? Is that his future? Just a foreigner, a nobody? See, anytime he wants to, all he's got to do is what? Make a phone call to who? To Alfred, and who, who can just get him out of there? See, he knew he had a future. He knew he had a future. You see, he enters into the, under, the criminal underworld knowing that he has an inheritance. And he fights as one who has a future. That's for sure. So he's not afraid to be unknown. He's not afraid to get beaten up. He's not afraid to be an outsider. He's not afraid of anything because he knows he's got a future. He knows he has an inheritance. Do you see how that works? And so how did these early Christians respond to this reality that they were foreigners yet family members with a future? Look, look at, look at verse 6. They responded by freaking out. 
Look at what he says. The verse says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been, you have been grieved by various trials. He says you respond to this, re- this reality that, yes, I'm a foreigner. Yes, I'll never fit in. But I belong in the family of God. And therefore, I rejoice. I have a future in this you rejoice, but it's not, and, and don't get me wrong, Peter's not trying to pretend like everything's okay, it's not. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You see, they rejoiced in the fact that they were family. Because theirs, theirs was a Cinderella story. In the world's eyes, they're foreigners, they don't, they're misfits, they don't fit in. But they now have a future, and that future is for sure, it is certain. Just as certainly as Jesus has been raised from the dead, so they will rise from the dead, and they will receive a new heavens and a new earth. And so they rejoice, they revel. This idea of rejoicing, it's exulting, it's gloating even. It's like if you were a blues fan right after winning the Stanley Cup. I was listening to one commentator, and he said, oh, this is a Cinderella story. Right? Just so those of you Blues fans, what, what, what did the Blues start out at the beginning of the season? Where were they ranked? Someone? Last. last? Yeah, thank you. Last? I mean, from being last, from being misfits, no way they're ever going to fit in. They don't belong in the Stanley Cup. Whoa. Right? But it happened to be downtown the, the night they won. I was with a, a friend of mine. He's, um, he's Bosnian. He's a really, just a really neat guy. Uh, he's named Boris. And we were down there, and you'd be walking on the street, and literally, it didn't matter who you saw, who you interacted with, who, you know, just whatever. You'd see someone and everyone just start high-fiving. Everyone was reveling. Everyone was rejoicing. Because we all shared this common victory, this common bond. Because of triumph, the sense of, hey, we won. We belong. We're, we, we're, we're on the inside. Okay? So he's addressing them as foreigners. But it's family members, family members with a future. So they, they rejoice and revel. But how did that happen? How did these Christians become family members? Well, verses 6, and eight, six through 8 tell us. Through faith, they came. They, they became family members through faith. Look at verses 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the return of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, this is really important. Though you have seen him, oh, sorry, though you have not seen him, you haven't seen the teacher, you wonder if he's coming back, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So how did these early Christians become family members? By faith in Jesus. Let me explain that. Because that language of faith in Jesus is just very sort of intangible. That is, by believing that Jesus of Nazareth was for real. That is to say that he was from God. Not a fraud, but truly from God. That, that Jesus is the creator's agent of cosmic restoration, of cosmic renewal, of cosmic reconciliation. That this person, Jesus, who really lived in the first century... A Jew, born as a peasant, really was God's agent to overcome evil in the world, the evil within us and the evil around us. And so faith was uniting, uniting themselves, aligning themselves with that person and saying, this is where the world's going. 
This is how the evil within me and around me will be overcome. I am surrendering myself and trusting myself fully to that person. And it's in that act of allegiance, in that act of surrender, in that act of reliance that they, were, they entered into the family of God. Again, hear me say this. Faith is recognizing Jesus not as a fraud, but as from God as his agent, as one who now has full authority. I think I may have told this story before. My senior year, though, I was, I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, and I was a squadron commander, and our commandant of cadets, a one-star general, would often come to our squadron area very early in the morning. And he would come, he would graduated from our squadron, and so he loved to just come in and inspect and just see what was going on. Sure enough, one morning around 6 a.m., he shows up, squadron's called to attention, everyone's doors well, most everyone's doors were open except for one senior cadet who decided he would sleep in that morning. And sure enough, the commandant's walking through with his entourage and he stops at the senior's door. Knocks on it. What? This is the commandant of cadets, General Stephen R. Lorenz. Please open your door. And in, from inside was this one single line. Yeah, right, and I'm the Easter Bunny. Okay? Now, the cadets who were outside all fled like cockroaches, right? <laughs> and I was the commander, so I couldn't, I couldn't run. I would, have, I would have run, but I couldn't. That is a failure to have faith. Okay? He did not recognize the authority of the one speaking, the one who came. Faith is recognizing. Faith is the faith of the centurion. He says, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. But just what? Jesus, just say the word. Because I too am a man under authority. He's recognizing Jesus' authority. Jesus, before he left, as the, the teacher before he left, said, Behold, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And see that authority? Faith is recognizing and rejoicing and reveling in Jesus' authority, an authority that is over all of the evil within us and around us. Isn't that beautiful? That's why they rejoiced in it. That's why they reveled in it. They said, ha, Caesar's not going to have the last word. My sin is not going to have the last word. The injustice around me is not going to have the last word. Jesus is. He's in charge. He's at the right hand of the Father. And they reveled in that. Let me say it again. Faith recognizes and rejoices in Jesus' authority over all that is evil. The evil that is in me, the evil that is around me, and it bows its knee. Saying, not my will, but your will be done. When it comes to my body, not my will, but your will be done. When it comes to my money, not, your, not my will, but your will be done. When it comes to my lips and the things I say with my mouth, not my will, but your will be done. It's a surrender. It's faith. So look again at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, right? you're in the classroom without the teacher. You love him. You're devoted to him. Though you do not now see him, Classmates are all around you. You believe in him. You regard him as for real. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
So Peter addresses these early Christians as foreigners, as unwanted outsiders, yet also as family members, with a future that's for sure. As family members, how? Through faith in Jesus, the firstborn. But why? 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 Why be in this family? You ready for this? Why be in this family? So that they can flourish. Look at verse eight, verses 8 and 9. So that they can flourish. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this word salvation is almost meaningless in the sense that we often as Christians about salvation. It's a good thing. We don't know what it means. Salvation the word for salvation, you ready for this? Is health. It's flourishing. You're obtaining the health, the healing, the flourishing of your souls. And here, soul isn't just some sort of abstract, the soul. The soul is who you are and all your vitality and all of your sense of what you enjoy in life. He's saying, what, what, if, you, if you have faith in Christ, if you're in board in this family, you will be healed. You will be made truly human. You will find true life. I can't tell you how relevant that is today. I think I was reading an article this past week talking about, talking about our youth, our young people, our adolescents, talking about just the lack, just the, the listlessness, the sense of lack of um, of motivation, lack of being alive, of passion, of purpose, and how anxiety and despair, depression are just through the roof. And he's saying here, if you belong to this family, you will experience the salvation, the flourishing of that vitality, that passion. I love when I see that in my daughters. I love when I see the passion, the sense of, the, sense of she, the other day, Lydia, Rosemary came home. She's, we're on the bus, and someone started talking about abortion, and I told them what to think about abortion. <laughs> I said, that's awesome. That's awesome. The sense of vitality, the passion, the sense of mission and purpose. So Peter addresses these Christians. This is so important, because he's about to say some really strong things. That's why I wanted to have you, have you, where is this coming from? Peter is saying, look, you're foreigners. You'll never fit in. Stop trying. You know what? You, you're, they're different. Yes, that's good. We're actually going to see. That's the whole point is to be different. And so he addresses them as foreigners, yet also as family members with a future, family members through faith in Jesus, aligning themselves with the firstborn son. Why? So that they can flourish. And so having addressed these Christians, these early Christians in this way, he urges them as follows. Verse 13, he says, focus. If you want to flourish as family members, you have got to focus. You see verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action. See, this is naturally, we're not prepared. Naturally, as you and I, we get up in the morning, we're not ready to go. We're not prepared. And not only we're not prepared, but we're not, we're sort of, you know, our natural thing to do, I don't know about you, the natural thing for me to do is just to, just to act according to immediate consequences. In what kind of state do we specialize in acting according to immediate feelings? You adults who've had too many, too many drinks before? Right? It's when we're drunk, actually, that we just suddenly we're free to do whatever we want in the moment. And he says here what? 
Prepare your, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And he means it, of course, he's using it metaphorically. He says, be sober. So our natural state is sort of this emotional, sort of psychological stupor. We're not thinking about the past. We're not thinking about the future. We're thinking about in the moment how I feel. And if you want to flourish, you've got to focus. Prepare your mind. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully. But focus on what? Focus on what? Focus on a future favor. Focus on a future favor. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there you are in the classroom, kids. What are you going to do? You're going to think, you know what? I love that teacher. That teacher has shaped me, formed me, shown me new ways, new things to live for, new things to enjoy in life. She's shown me the world as it really is, and I am going to focus on the return of my teacher. What would he or she want me to do? I don't care what people think around me. I'm not going to worry about them. I'm going to focus not on becoming a favorite of any, class, of any classmate, but rather I'm going to focus on the future favor of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. You see that? So the first thing to do is to focus, to focus on a, a fully on the future favor. Now, how do we do that? Well, look in the next verse, verses 14. We do it by following not our feelings, but our Father. So he contrasts here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See, there's these passions in the moment. He says, don't be conformed. Don't follow your immediate feelings. Feelings that really come from an ignorance, a foolishness. Don't, don't go there. You know, when you're training for sports, when you're training for a certain skill, you want to be good at something, do you, do, you, do you grow by following your feelings? You don't feel like working out? You don't feel like listening to the coach? No. You grow, you flourish as an athlete when you follow the counsel, the advice of your coach, not on how you feel. And he's saying it's the same way here. Okay. Um, in fact, I was one, one of you, I was out shooting a gun with one of you recently. We were shooting the, the range together, and you were training me how to shoot. And you said this, is there's nothing natural about shooting a gun. I thought that was such an interesting statement. There's nothing natural. It doesn't come naturally. If you follow your feelings, if you do what, what seems right, if you do what you, what, what you see in Hollywood, <laughs> you will not shoot accurately. He's saying if you want to flourish, listen to this, gang, flourishing is counterintuitive. It's countercultural and it's counterintuitive. It means following not your immediate feelings, which deceive, but your father. Okay? Your father. And here's the thing. I want you to hear this. This is just so important. If you follow your feelings, I can promise you, you will not be free. You will not be free. So the message of the world is that you just follow how you feel. You'll be free. Sat down one time with a wonderful young man. Well, he's a young man. He's about my age. And he talked about, he's a single guy. He talked about how since in his early 20s, right after college to the present time, about 18 years of his life, he had done nothing but enjoy himself. And he went from girl to girl to girl. He was just, I mean, he would literally every night, party night, 
having a great time. You think, wow, wouldn't that just be so much fun? Right? Just to be able to like just, you know, not not worry about anything, but just to hang out and just just, you know, be young, you know, for 20 years. <laughs> right? And he said to me, you know what? I am as lonely. I'm as lonely as could possibly be. I am dying of loneliness. And he said, here's the thing. After doing what I've done for as long as I've done it, I really don't think that marriage is an option. So I, just, I don't, wouldn't know how to begin to be faithful. It makes sense that any woman who wants to be with me, who wants to be truly so I won't be alone, that would require me to be faithful. Does that make sense? <laughs> he admitted, yeah, that's, that's sort of, it goes with marriage. He said, I just don't know if I could do that. I have followed my feelings for so long that I'm not free. In fact, I'm in bondage to loneliness. Do you see how that works? And so, so flourishing, so counterintuitive. He says, you got to focus. Wake up. In fact, this past, just this past weekend, Sarah and I, we were with a, a couple, a non-Christian couple, just a wonderful couple that we, we just literally just met. And we went to dinner with them. And um, we are having some great conversation. And they talked about how they just turned 50. And they, were, and they said, you know, and she said, I don't know, for us, it's for some reason turning 50 has been this moment of stopping and saying, what are we doing with our lives? Like, wh- why are we doing what we're doing? So we're 50. That means we, only, you know, we have this, you know, in terms of career, in terms of life and family, this is, what, this is it. I mean, we've we got to stop. We have to focus. So there's a sense of focusing. And, and Peter is saying, focus on a future favor. And how do you do that? By not following your feelings, but by following your Father, who is different. See, look at verse 14 again. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay, so he's saying, he's saying very simply, don't follow your feelings. Follow your father with a sense of fear and reverence because your father is different. He's different. And let me tell you again, isn't that what you want? You look all around you, the survey, the landscape of the world, don't you want to do it differently? So that difference is called holiness. Your father stands outside of the insanity and the messiness and the foolishness of this world. And he knows how you were made. He knows you from the inside out. He knows you better than you know yourself. Because he stands from outside. He's holy. And he's other. And he's wiser. And he's more faithful. And he looks at you and looks at Bruce. He says, Bruce, I know you think you know what you're doing. But you don't. Listen to me. I'll lead you to flourishing. Yeah, you're going to be different. But that different is going to be good. Really, really good. You'll flourish. You'll learn to flourish. So he's, he's urging them. Yes, you're a foreigner, but your family 
and his family focus focus on the future favor when your older brother the firstborn returns focus on that by not following your feelings but by following the advice the counsel of your father who is holy who stands outside and knows he knows what's best listen to this he says so focus on your father and he goes on here in verses 19. And so, or 18, it's so beautiful. He says, for you were freed. So you've been freed. Look at verses 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now listen to this. He's saying here, it's so beautiful. He says, look, you don't have to do life like your forefathers. You don't have to do life like everyone around you. And it's such so, so, so amazing things. In the ancient, in the Greco-Roman world, it was all about doing what your forefathers did. It was all about honoring tradition. It was about being conservative. And, and, and Peter here critiques it. He says, you know what? Following that way of life is futile. It's futile. See, some of you, there's the thing, right? In your late 20s, maybe 30s, 40s, you begin to realize that as much as you, were, you, you thought you were so different from your parents, <laughs> what? You're actually a lot like them. In fact, Sarah and I, we, um, actually Sarah more so than me, uh, she, she, um, she listens to a, a wonderful artist. I mean, most of you know who this is, John Mayer. Uh, John Mayer wrote this beautiful song called In the Blood. And this song is a song about, um, basically talking about whether or not he can escape the influence of his parents. It's so good. He says, how much of my mother has my mother left in me? How much of my love will be insane to some degree? And what about this feeling that I'm never good enough? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? Isn't that powerful? How much of my father am I destined to become? Will I dim the lights inside me just to satisfy someone? Woo. Will I let this woman kill me or do away with jealous love? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? He's saying, I realize there's a momentum. There's a familial momentum to who I am. That there's a cultural momentum to who I am. And Peter's saying, there is a way out. You can be freed from that. Through the blood of Jesus Christ being brought into a new family to live a new way, a new way that will lead to flourishing. That blood of Christ that cleanses of guilt, that frees us to look at our parents, to look at our past, and to say, you know what? I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to be different. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that beautiful? So he goes on, so Peter is saying, Focus, focus on a future favor by not following your feelings, but by following your father, a father who is different. A father who has given a son who can free us, truly free us from our past. And then he closes here, it's so beautiful, he closes by saying, look, who you are, look here in verse, um, verse 22, he, he, he reviews, having purified our souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is what he says. Look, you are, he says, you're no longer need to be, to be controlled by the family from which you came, the culture from which you came. That doesn't mean that you're on your own all by yourself. What are you to do? He says, no, you focus. Why? You, you actually concentrate on loving one another as family members. 
Isn't that beautiful? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And gang, I just can't tell you, that's what I long for, for Good Shepherd. I long for us to just celebrate each other deeply. To delight in one another. To be aware of the struggles, the pains, the hurts, the defeats that are going on here. And I can't tell you how many of you, if you knew, if only you knew how wonderful you were. <laughs> if only you knew how many challenges your people right next to, next to you in the pew, in front of you and behind you were facing. And he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Not just saying, hey, how you doing? Yeah, well, we go to church together. But actually earnestly saying, how are you really doing? What's going on in your world? Are you okay? For example, the Rouches this week, Brad and Michelle, they're going to be adopting, formally, finally adopting little Eli. Wow, what a journey. What an incredible journey. This Tuesday, right? This, this Tuesday, right? This Tuesday, the big day. What if you texted them on Tuesday or today or afterward, you know, on Monday or Tuesday and said, hey, we're praying for you. We're so excited for you. Can't wait to have Eli to be finally just it's been a long, tough journey. Or maybe follow up Wednesday, hey, how'd it go? Because you're concerned. You love them. They're family. Eli's our family. Do we actually care for one another? Do we enjoy one another? This is the beauty of Peter's word to us this morning. And it's a word that comes from our Father. A final word. That's exactly where he closes. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory is like the flowers of the of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. What you have heard this morning is a word that will last forever. You're foreigners, but you're family members. Family members who belong, who've been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Family members by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have that faith? Do you? Have you surrendered yourself? Every aspect of who you are. This meal that we're about to celebrate, it's a family meal. Isn't that beautiful? It is a family meal. It is a meal for the weakest, most wayward child of our Heavenly Father. It is a meal only, though, for those who have given themselves fully, who have surrendered. You say, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. For all my degrees, for all of my expertise, for all, all of what I've tried to show the world, for all my social media posts, blah, 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 at the end of the day, I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm tired of trying to fit in. I am so tired of trying to fit in to make it work. I just want to go to a place where I'm going to be loved, welcomed. Where my sin will be fully covered. Where I will be freed, truly free from my past. This is a meal for sinners. It's a meal for those who are reconciled. Reconciled sinners who are members of the family of God. So as we go to that, let's pray together and let's enter in this beautiful sacrament. Heavenly Father, Holy.